Welcome to Hope Plus, a podcast for Hope Community Church. If you're a new listener, we encourage you to check us out at hopecommunity.ca or find us on social media. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have a requested conversation about preaching. So today we are going behind the scenes and giving you an insider look at our pastor's preaching and a bit of their process. So today we have Sid. Hello. Dave. It's good to be here. And Jonathan. Hi, everyone. So we're going to start by picking on Jonathan because he is fairly new to preaching compared to the others. And we would just like to know, first off, what has it been like for you stepping up to the preaching position? Well, yeah, it's been a journey for sure. Although, yes, I am fairly new to preaching, what makes it a little more complicated is that I'm talking when I joined Hope. First time in my life that I'm preaching in 100% English. So that's a different dynamic that I had to kind of journey through. And another dynamic was to preach in front of adults. I've always just preached or taught youth and a lot of youth ministry. And so getting involved in preaching in front of the wider congregation has been nerve-wracking. The biggest pressure that I felt was I have to be a little more formal. I have to be a little more professional because I'm not dealing with kids or youth that sort of get the slang or the lingo of whatever is the trend. But I have to be careful that I want to include, yeah, as many people as possible to effectively communicate what I'm preaching. And so that's a big part of uh, my journey so far. Another part is effectively communicating without sounding too academic. So I remember that's been my biggest feedback from both Dave and some of my or mentors that it sounds too much like a sermon. And I remember one of the manuscripts that I shared with Dave for feedback, it was in point form. So that's how far I've gotten. I promise it's not in point form anymore. <laughs> but when I first started, it was how do I even preach effectively without, yeah, being too academic-minded? And that's that stems from, you know, teaching at a school environment. And having been a teacher for a long time, I know Sid can relate. And so, I yeah. I think you meant to say too much like a paper earlier. Too much like a paper, yes, like an essay. Yeah, it's it was tempting to not quote all the footnotes that I would do during <laughs> sermon. Yeah, that's sort of been what my initial journey has been. and then. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback recently that I'm a little more comfortable and relatable, have grown. That's what I've heard a lot. So it's been very encouraging. Whenever Jonathan preaches a terrible sermon or when his joke doesn't land, he's like, oh, but if it was this, if it was in Korean with youth, they would have just loved this. <laughs> we're like, sure, sure, Jonathan, sure. Yeah, yeah well, it, there is some truth to that, you know? My mind goes to Korean mode sometimes and, and I get stuck. And that actually is scary because I'm like, oh, do I translate this and tell people that I was thinking Korean? But that just adds another like 20 minutes to my sermon. So My humor kills with Dutch people. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just make the joke in Korean and we'll just laugh along. Right. No, that makes lots of sense. As being the youth pastor, I understand that, okay, you have to talk a little bit more grown up when it's not to a group of young people for sure okay we're going to flip to the other side of the spectrum a little bit Sid you have been preaching at hope the longest can you think of a favorite preaching experience or what has it been like for you 
Well, I mean, the, you know, kind of seeing where Jonathan comes from. I mean, I, I went into the preaching world right out of the teaching world. Mm. And so I kind of did seminary like experiences along the way. So I, I didn't do the typical journey into pastoring. So that teaching thing really resonates with me. I think, I think, you know, some of, there's so many favorite experiences because, you know, over the years, topics that matter a lot. I, I, I guess I love telling the story of the Bible and I, I loved it as a teacher too. So th- some of those where we talked about the story of the Bible and then trying to connect it to people's lives as a, someone who taught middle school, that was always really important that kids got it. But I think that's translated fairly well with dealing with adults too. Um, so some of those are my, my favorite are when I get to tell the biblical story, but tell it in my own style. Right. And then, you know, try to then, okay, now how does this fit your life? So mm-hmm. the Sid version. Yeah. Yeah. Dave always refers to Sidism yeah. like that. So the Sid translation of the Bible. That's right. That's right. The, yeah, New International, the Sid International. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Have any of you had a worst sermon that you can recall that comes to mind that you would share with us? I can think of a few of Sid's worst. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's easier to point out for somebody else yeah. than your own. Go ahead and point them out. <laughs> well, last week. Who's who's the only pastor who got an applause on one? So I'm just kind of. <laughs> we used to joke that. Um, attendance is always higher at our church when Sid preaches. I think that's still true. <laughs> what does that say? But I don't think so. I, I can think of a worst experience. Go um, for it. When I started preaching at our former church, my father-in-law, who is a teacher of the Bible, uh, he invited me to preach on Habakkuk. And then he suggested that I preach on the whole book in one sermon. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, let's do this. <laughs> Not realizing, I mean, it covers a lot of topics like judgment and the nations and God's intention for Israel and all that. And I decided, let's just get into it. So it was a very, very long sermon, very long, way too many details. It had like 35 main points. And like halfway through the sermon, I had this like out-of-body experience where I wanted to like leave. I knew the sermon was extremely tedious. It wasn't, I wasn't preaching. I was more so teaching. And the, the congregation was not tracking with me. It was an evening service. People were like tired. And I think it was just under an hour, about 50 minutes. And nobody talked with me after the sermon because everybody, including myself, knew it was just a terrible, long, boring <laughs> sermon that I didn't even want to finish myself. So that was my worst. Yikes. Maybe you don't bring that one up at Hope. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up. It'll be a whole sermon series. Uh, The experience I had is, I guess, somewhat similar. It has to do with the length. You know, it's just tricky to effectively preach and be faithful to the word, but keep it a little shorter than how I thought. And so when I was in youth ministry at my dad's church, I remember pulling out a whiteboard. So I was already in a teaching mode. And once the whiteboard came out, it never ended. Oh, no. I would diagram everything. And I, all I remember was at the end, I sort of like wrote a whole like point form essay on the whiteboard, everything I was learning at Bible college at the time. And the, and my dad recorded each sermon. Pastor Ed also saw one of these videos and thought I was my dad. Anyways, the recording was about 55 minutes. Oh no. (laughs) Imagine like 10 youth in middle and high school 
sitting for 55 minutes to this guy ramble on about something. So that's what I remember as being my worst sermon. They're probably thinking that they should get your degree with you because they just learned everything. Yeah. You know, I suppose, you know, for me too, it, it's probably early on, but I think kind of tied to that, uh, hope as a community church, you know, in the early days, it was all topical sermons. Mm. You know, was it was re- very relevant, and being a community church, it was it was quite effective. But I I took over from the pastor who started Hope, and so I kind of copied his style to a degree. So I can't even remember what the topic was, but it was it was a psychology kind of thing, and I must have had twenty points, <laughs> and I I could just see everybody glazing over. Um, so yeah, that it, it, length was a problem, but it was more just trying to say too much. Right. And pastor who started hope, you know, came, you know, he, we talked a few times and he, he said to, he said, you know, you need to say what, 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 do, what are people going to walk away with? What's going to grab their heart and just go to right. places. So uh, it was a good learning experience, but I was trying to do too much, which I think is probably typical of first timers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like all those were older experiences pre-hope so or early hope days. So I'm glad, or I'm sure some people are glad that you've learned from those. We still have those where we're like, ah, oh, well, we not record that sure. one. Yeah. Uh, maybe just the live stream will crash and there's no evidence of it or something. Well, related and unrelated to kind of Sid, what you're talking about, starting with topical as a community church, we've definitely come a long way maybe. And now we have lots of like variety in what the series are and so my question is how do you guys decide what you're going to preach on in a given season or a given year like what are priorities how do you guys go about that i can say a few words about that i think the the fun thing about being a preaching team is that we get to sit down pray together talk together even discern together like what is it that we feel god leading us into in a particular season a particular uh, time in our preaching calendar so it's kind of fun even to hear from each other. We've had a lot of moments where we're like, oh, yeah, let's preach on that book. This is, this is the right time for that book. And it's pretty cool. Um, there's good guidance. Like in the CRC, I think a lot of different, the recommendation is you want to make sure you hit different kinds of different parts of the Bible. So we try to preach every year on an Old Testament book, a New Testament book, a letter, a gospel. In some way, we want to hit those. And then we intersperse throughout our series uh, topical preaching. And I think that's been kind of fun. I actually grew up in a tradition where there was no topical preaching, and I've, I've come to see the value of it. It is very good at preaching topically, much better than I am. Um, so that it's been kind of fun to mix them together. But I mean, just a few things that I remember specifically was in 2019, uh, our church was growing rapidly, and we went to two services. There's a lot of new ministries starting. Like if we look on like all that year, so many things were starting, and so many leaders were tired and frustrated. And so we decided to start 2020 by preaching a sermon series on Sabbath. And I still think I got more feedback on that Sabbath series than any other series. Like people are like, oh my goodness, this is just what we need. And then ironically, of course, by the time we were midway through the series, we had two, two years of Sabbath with COVID. And everyone's like, maybe we should have preached on something else. At the end of COVID too, I remember we preached on, on unity. We did that sermon series on John, uh, that they may be one. And I remember that was a, a real Holy Spirit moment for us as staff because we're like, what is it that our church really feels right now? And I think we all felt fractured. We felt yeah. our families were fighting. We felt like things were complicated. And so we preached a sermon series on unity. And that was like, mm-hmm. it was just hitting where people were struggling. And that was a pretty cool thing. I think it was actually yeah. your suggestions. Like, yeah. So. 
that's one memorable one. Another one is in this world you will have trouble. It just yeah, some sermon series really hit hit the spot and just knowing contextually where we are and what we are going through just seems very appropriate. And I echo what Dave said. I remember having a conversation with you, Dave, uh, on how hard it is to preach topical sermons because that's not how you're necessarily, quote unquote, trained in seminary. You get a passage, you have to do the proper exegetical work. You don't necessarily get a topic and say, go preach an effective sermon on that. So, yeah, some of those sermon series and planning yeah, I know it's cliche, but it's like we really are trying to be attentive to the Spirit and mm-hmm. how the Spirit leads us to preach on something that's really needed in our congregation. Mm-hmm. I think all of that's true, but I think it's also, maybe that's the, well, that is the advantage of being around for a while. You start to know your church, mm-hmm. you know, so you start knowing people, you know, the pain that is in a congregation, the yeah. brokenness that exists. Um, you know, we become a far more diverse church that has dynamics on how we preach too. Right. So I, I think some of it, yeah, and I, and that's the work of the spirit too. You're, you're paying attention. I mean, I have it too when I'm preaching too. I can't help but look around and, you know, I know that story and I know that story, I know that story, I know that story. Right. And suddenly it's, so, you know, it becomes exceedingly personal. Yeah. And so now you want to preach to, to the heart of somebody, mm-hmm. not just the head of somebody. Yeah. That, that, motivates me in my preaching. I know it does the other mm-hmm. pastors as well, but yeah, knowing your congregation over the years is, is, is a wonderful gift. You know, this isn't what you're asking Misha, but I had someone, one of my friends in our church asked me just last week, like what's, what's to keep churches from just playing the best sermons by someone else on YouTube or using chat mm-hmm. GTP? Like what, what keeps us from doing something like that? And it was interesting because the first thought was, I was thinking of your preaching said how preaching is so contextual and it's so particular. And you're so good at knowing this is what our church needs to hear or even a number of people within our church and therefore we're going to preach on it's very particular and what makes preaching beautiful is how it's this sermon that god has given me as i listen to the word for this congregation Mm -hmm. and not that congregation not this church down the road but this church in this time at this moment i think that's a pretty beautiful thing about preaching you know and that's what the gift of being in a church for over 30 years you know how to preach contextually how you get to know what people mean. That's cool to hear that it's like a collaborative experience of planning, though. It's not just so-and-so gets to pick and trump everyone else's ideas. I throw ideas out and they shut them down all the time. Okay, never mind. I've got a few sermons that just keep keep getting pushed down the road. (laughs) We'll eventually get there. No hard feelings. Habakkuk, we'll we'll get there. I want my Habakkuk. How do you guys decide who gets to preach on certain Sundays within a series? We dump all the steamy, challenging passages on Jonathan. <laughs> That's true. Ruth, remember we preached yeah. on Ruth. Pull rank, pull rank. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> uh, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I do think as a rule of thumb, Sid aims to preach in the season of life once every six weeks or so. Jonathan preaches every once a month and I preach the rest. And so we just work around our schedules. What uh, I've found that too, there's times where we work out a series like on Galatians or in previous series, we'll find there's there's something where we're like, oh, that's a Sid sermon. Like, this is his wheelhouse. Like, yeah. the one on marriage you preached, I think it was in the fall. We just kind of knew whatever the schedule is going to be, Sid's the one preaching on marriage. Yeah. You know, and then it was amazing. So. That's sort of what's launched our podcast, too. 
that's right around the time where we decided to launch the podcast and our first recorded episode was a conversation between Sid and Candy about their marriage. Yeah. Oh, what I wanted to mention was, so I made this comment when I was preaching before. In in my tradition, in a Korean Presbyterian tradition, you don't make the newbie pastor preach like either a New Year sermon or a Christmas Eve sermon or any of the important dates, quote unquote. But here, the high risk like, maneuver. Right. Hey, you're um, you're available for the New Year, and why don't you preach? And this was during my internship, even. And so I remember it's not necessarily quote unquote again pulling rank, but mm -hmm. it was just hey, this is a good opportunity, whether it's a special Sunday or not. And I was just kind of thrown in. And I appreciated that. One, yes, it was nerve-wracking to preach in a certain Sunday like that. But it was an opportunity to, yeah, be ready for any Sunday. And just be open to how we schedule and just are thrown in whenever we can. Well, you get New Year's too because finished with christmas so everybody's tired <laughs> it is actually pulling rank <laughs> we need your vitality come on but it, it i think what's been fun too is like when you map out a series like on galatians and we just say okay you're available this day this day this day and you you get a passage given to you there's something nice about not always having to pick it because i right. find like in galatians i had not preached much on galatians if not maybe never before this and all of a sudden you're wrestling with Galatians 3 and you've got to do hard work. And I think preaching on things for the first time or preaching on passages you wouldn't naturally gravitate towards is so healthy, mm -hmm. at least for me and my own process. Yeah, it yeah. helps you learn yourself. Yeah. You avoid the hobby horse sermons. You say the same thing in different ways every Sunday, but you don't get to do that when you preach through a book of the Bible and break it up together. Yeah. Well, well, going to, back to the point that I'm fairly new, it's actually more challenging for me to pick my own passage because I don't have that hobby horse, mm. the go-to passage. There are some that I like, but it's not like I've preached a congregational, quote-unquote, like adult sermon on certain passages. And so for me right now at this stage, I actually prefer being given a passage and just wrestling with that and having to wrestle with that and seeing how mm -hmm. God just speaks through me and, and, and wrestling with whatever passage I'm given with. We're going to give him Songs of Solomon 2 verse yeah. 1 next week. Go. <laughs> That's good. So what would you guys say is a bit of your process for preparing a sermon? Do you have things you do daily, weekly? Like what is the, what's the steps? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of the luxuries of not preaching every week now. I, mm. I have so much time for it. So that's, that's a, so jealous. <laughs> I know. I remember being in. You know, this every week, and you're pumping sermons out, and you know. Whereas now, I I have weeks, and I want to know early so I can start early. And mm -hmm. so th my process, which I can drag out now, is option. You know, re reading the scriptures, thinking of, of things that connect mm -hmm. the dots a little bit. I I listen to a lot of other guys too, gals, guys. I read a lot. You know, I think pastors read a lot because, especially if you've been in it for a long time, it's it's you're going to get redundant really fast, right? I mean, you've, yeah. you, you know, it's just your thoughts all the time, you know? And so listening to other people, their angles, you make it your own still. I think it's really important to listen to other voices. Yeah. Because you've got, otherwise you're never going to stay fresh. Right. And so, you know, I, so, you know, we, we, we do a lot of reading as three of us, uh, different things. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the process too. So, you know, listen to a bunch of stuff, praying, reading the scripture, reading some commentaries. And then I, I just, I start writing. 
once I get to that point. Handwritten. And, yeah, Sid so used pen and paper. I always, I always handwrite. Um, Chisel and on, tablet. on tablets of stone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, I handwrite and I scribble out and photocopy something and cut it out and paste it on there. Like it's I'm. I'm wow. just old, completely old school that it's like way. Like arts so. and crafts. Yeah. It's me thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh, but it's my process, and you know, I, I I like to get a complete draft written well fairly early on, so that I can mess with it some more. Hmm. And then it's and it's for me, it's a lot of reading out loud, letting my brain hear it. Yeah. And then you know when I hear it, I think, wow, I don't like how that sounds, or mm-hmm. I, boy, this would be a more powerful way of saying something listening to some other things, adding them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of my process. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever practice with Winston? Uh, he's an unbeliever. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so For those of that's... you who do not know, that's Sid's dog, <laughs> Winston. Yeah, that's and... right. That's right, yeah. Our, our, our yeah. French bulldog, yeah. I, I, you know what? I used to, used to share a lot of things with Candy, but I don't as much anymore because Candy's way of processing is so different than mine that mm. she looks for all the problems that might be <laughs> and i just want affirmation at that point yeah so, and you're telling her there were no problems that's right yeah. you're supposed to say yay you and <laughs> and you're going what about this what about this what about this so that's probably more me. i think this is a separate podcast yeah this is another marriage talk <laughs> i want Andy on this podcast <laughs> i don't <laughs> Yeah, for me, the personality calls for an organized, systemic way of preparing for a, for my sermon. Before growing up, watching my dad prepare sermons, it was just Saturday was the day to prepare everything. On Saturday, you do not even talk to my dad. He was kind of closed off, and that was his moment of just getting everything processed. And so that was my only example. That was a direct kind of influence in my life. And then I come to hope. And then going through my internship, I found it helpful to start early, as early as you can. And that just kind of helps the rest of the week because it gives you more time to wrestle and it gives you more time to sort of get get deeper into what the text is really trying to say. Starting from Monday, I know the text ahead of time, so I'm wrestling with it, uh, meditating on it, just thinking about it in general. And then the anxiety starts kicking in because I know I have to get this done. And that's just my personality. By Tuesday, I'm, I hit the commentaries first. I know other pastors have different opinions, but I need to know. I feel like I need to know some of the expertise behind the text before I put my own thoughts into it. And so by Tuesday, I read at least one commentary on the text, make sure that my thoughts are not way far off than what the experts say and then by wednesday i at least have some sort of outline and i know where i want to go and the main point is captured by that point by wednesday and then the rest is just all the hard work of getting it all punched out yeah it's funny you say that though this percolating process i think is so significant because you know when you know when you know what's coming you know like i swim quite a bit but while i'm swimming you know, you're thinking, you're praying, you know, so I, I think this having the thought early in your brain and then stuff happens in the week or you read something that yeah. you never would have had included in it, but you include it anyway, because, and maybe, and I think that's the work of the spirit too, saying, Hey, here's a good thought. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't have a lot to add. My, my process looks similar to Jonathan's and Sid's in many ways, but one of the things I like to do too, is ask questions or like 
I don't know if this is just something I learned from some along the way, but like, be willing to ask any question of the passage. Like, why does that, why is that there? Mm-hmm. Or what I've had it, the sermons that I, I find the most fun to write are, it's like, I'm unsettled by this, mm-hmm. or I find this hard to hear. Why is that? And then, you know, you start asking those questions like, why, why is Paul saying this thing to this group of people? And once I, or, or when you have the discovery, like, oh, that's why he's saying it, because this matters so much. Or then you're like, okay, but now I know how to bring it to my church. Mm. And I find sometimes I can be very anxious about how to preach. If I haven't figured out, like, why did Paul say it to them? And what's he trying to do by preaching this word to this community? And, and what do we want to do with that? How do we hear it today? Like, I remember in our Jonah series, when I, it was just so interesting to me realizing Jonah lived in Israel. He had to go to a separate pagan, quote unquote, community, Nineveh, to preach destruction. Uh, and he was so afraid of going to this place. And then I realized in our context, we're living in the Nineveh. Like we aren't in some, some separate secluded community that's all surrounded by believers. Like we're living in Nineveh. It's a very different context. I'm like, okay, now, now I got to wrestle with an ancient word to an ancient people, to a very modern community how do, how do i contextualize that and that's that is both the agonizing struggle and the most beautiful delight of working on a sermon mm-hmm. and so i don't know who i heard this from this might be an andrew Bianc quote because sometimes the writing of a sermon is like uh delivering a baby sometimes it goes smooth and quickly other times it's like a super painful delivery <laughs> it's all pain and it's hilarious talking with three men about sermon writing as a delivery of a baby. But oh yeah, we understand. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, all right. What would you guys say makes for an effective sermon? Is there something you try to include that that's going to do it? The secret sauce. The secret sauce. I mean, I think first off, you know, it needs to be true to scriptures. It, yeah. It just needs to be honest, and then I think the second part, it and it needs to be relevant. Mm-hmm. There's a new guy in our church. I'm just getting to know him, but he made a comment. He came out of a church where there's topical preaching, and he just said, you know, when you do topical preaching, the danger is you can kind of say what you want and just find a whole grab bag of passages to back it up. And he said, what I appreciated, I think it was after Jonathan's sermon, he said, I appreciate that you have to live in this passage and you have to proclaim this this passage and you're grounded by it. It is the scripture that is speaking. And I thought, Mm -hmm. that's true. And that's where the power is. You know, like Dave Gruen's brain is not where, that's not going to change people's hearts, yeah. but the power of God through the word that is inspired by the spirit, that's going to change people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just echo that. I have in one of my Bibles, I have this sticky note. I stuck this on at the beginning of my time here at Hope, just with the dynamics of preaching again to adults. A reminder that even through a person like me, the Holy Spirit can speak through. And so I always had to remind myself that Mm -hmm. no matter how much I lack, and I will lack in many different ways, remind myself that it is God who is working and speaking through even a person like me. Yeah, just high level, what is an effective sermon? A sermon that God speaks through his people. Mm -hmm. I I think one thing I would add, and I think it's really important in our context, being a community church, I constantly say, okay, there's somebody out there this is the first time they're in church. Right. Mm-hmm. How do they hear this? Yeah. So even I was working on Galatians 6 and, you know, I'm using the word doctrine. But I remind myself to define the word doctrine yeah. because right. you people would not know the word. Yeah. Yep. And it's so easy for Christians to do Christianese yeah. and use all the jargon. You know, I, even, even the songs we sing, I remember early on when I wasn't the pastor at Hope, but just one who came. 
you know, I remember one guy, you know, we were singing the song, the trees of the fields will clap their hands. You know, the guy asked, he says, somebody on crack write that? And, you know, because, yeah, it it sounded like craziness to him. Yeah. Right. And and so I I I just think it's so important for Hope Community to say, okay, how is a new person going to hear this? And at the same time, challenge everybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so it's, it's not like, you know, you, you're only preaching to the newcomer, but man, they better be in your, in your equation. Yeah. And how can people feel comfortable bringing new people that they know are new? Yeah. You know, this is going to be relevant just as much for me and you. Yeah. Cause sometimes, you know, I grew up in Christian Reformed church and not that everybody was the same, but you know, everybody had more or less the same experience. Hope is way different. And now, even with all the different ethnic diversity too, it's you know I, I start thinking, okay, you know, how would this get heard? Yeah. You know, I, I want I, I want to make sure I understand how people are hearing it. So if I can help them in any way, I'm, I'm going to do that. I mean, two two more thoughts about that that come to mind. I mean, just an example actually. Just this past Sunday, there's a fellow who is worshiping with us who's not sure what to make of Christianity, and uh, he came up to me after the sermon. He said, "What in the world is the sinful nature?" And what do you mean when you say flesh? I'm like, I didn't explain those categories in my sermon. And I was like, wow, thank you for asking that question. Let's talk about it. We had a really interesting conversation, but I'm like, that's the perfect example of it where it's like in a community church, I'm so grateful. Uh, and if any of you are listening and you are these people, I'm so grateful for you coming up to us after the sermon and saying that didn't make sense or that sounded like Christianese, whatever way they say it, because then we get to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is, I think this is a Tim Keller quote where he said, you know, you want to preach to equip the church of Jesus Christ to live out the gospel, but your preaching must be hospitable and accessible to anyone who shows up to your church. Mm-hmm. And that's a delightful task as well. The other thing I want to say, that I just feel like there's this, this the tension that people often feel about a spirit-led sermon versus like, I don't know, a, a non-spirit-led sermon. But there's this, I grew up with this, I understand that, man, if that full of the spirit you'll just be able to know what to preach on. You can just walk up to the pulpit and you can just preach a sermon. And I'm so convinced that there are times where like you feel carried by the spirit. And I know Sid has had it many times where he's preaching on something that he did not prepare. Like he's adding something to a sermon and you just, God is guiding him. Mm-hmm. But I am equally convinced that so much of the spirit's work in sermon preparation is through the hard work. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're doing the reading, you're trying to figure out the grammatical structure, you're trying to figure out the historical situation, you're imagining like the passage, you're living with it, you're swimming at the bottom of the pool, and Jesus, by his spirit, is equally at work in those moments mm-hmm. as he is in the act of preaching. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we can divide those things and we, we envy sort of what people stereotype as a spirit-led sermon that's spontaneous, mm-hmm. and we don't think the spirit works in the very ordinary routine of a Wednesday morning reading of a commentary. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Well, my final question for you is, do you have any advice for people on how to listen to a sermon? Well, that's a dangerous question. <laughs> you can answer that first, Misha. My advice would probably be to be open-minded. I think there's sometimes as a listener that I'm like, oh, that doesn't really sound too interesting or relevant to me based on the title or based on just the initial scripture. And so I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I don't really, I'll just zone out a little bit here. And so I think being open-minded to, actually there might be a great nugget of something said, and maybe it's related to the big picture of the sermon. Maybe it's just one quote that, oh, I actually really needed to hear that. And so that sticks out. And I think another, like with being open-minded is 
trying to be as attentive as possible. And I know a lot of our young people struggle with this. A lot of them would rather not be in the sermon portion of the service because it's so boring, as they say. But I think trying to engage as best as can and follow, okay, like someone has put in the effort to be in tune with the spirit and to use their teaching and their maybe expertise could is the loosely used word to follow what they have prepared. And so thinking, okay, they prepared it for a reason. Like, what's the reason? Can I find it? It's interesting that, you know, what you said too, about there may be a nugget. I'm sometimes blown away when people come up to you and thank you for a particular part of the sermon that I thought was just a right a, a little aside yeah you're like the main point it was not that yeah but. well you don't say that because you're glad they got something yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh but yeah you're you're right i mean it's, it's something wow really that's what you got yeah okay yeah you know and trusting that maybe that's god's word for them mm-hmm. yeah yeah the main thought that i had about this question was as much as we are trying to contextualize the passage these ancient texts for our context today, I would say, try to join us in that boat. Meaning, as you listen to this sermon, how would a non-believer, someone that you know, or if it's you yourself, how are you listening to this as if you're hearing it for the first time? Because mm-hmm. growing up as a pastor's kid and just being and listening to almost like one single person sermon all my life in Korean, which was difficult, it's, you tune it out because it's so repetitive every week for years and years. But then if you get into the mindset of, uh, okay, so this same sermon that I feel like I know, if my friend that has never been to a church before were to listen to this, how are, how would they be receiving it, right? So as much as we, as we prepare a sermon, are trying to do that, you as a listener, it might help to think, okay, so how would a non-believer listen and hear this word? I also encourage, if, if you know, maybe you come up with questions as listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I I mean, we do that a little bit with the small group questions, but with the intent, I mean, you know, when you listen to the, st- the stats about how much people retain after a day, mm-hmm. you know, it's depressing as a pastor that, you know, how little is remembered. But yeah. maybe if you ask some questions, you know, and some people do that, they email you a question or mm-hmm. text or whatever, and, and, you know, now you engage in a bit of a conversation. So, yeah, yeah that's nice too. I think of, I've had two experiences where I've preached on something that's fairly challenging, you know, like I remember preaching on adultery once and I don't can't remember the second one, but I've had it where, and every pastor has this, where someone will come up to you after the service. You're like, you were the person I was thinking of when I wrote this sermon. And then they say to you, oh man, I really wish my friend heard that sermon. Or I, I really wish my wife was here to hear that sermon. I'm like, oh man, that, that was, that was for you too, buddy. Yeah. And it's hard to say it, but like, and maybe the point there is like, invite the spirit to give you a receptive heart to what you actually need to hear. Cause I think, and this is said to me by someone in our church who said like, you know, if you're, if you're really trying to hear God speak and you want him to speak, he will speak to you by his word. Every sermon, there's something for you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even have to be a flashy sermon with illustrations. It's just the scripture. God will speak to you if you're open to it and, and be willing to act. I think I speak for maybe myself, but I bet you resonate where you grow up in the church and you almost think of the sermon as information to take into your brain. And in one sense, that's obviously true. There's knowledge, there's information you want to learn and grow. But we don't think of sermons as things to respond to. And there's a guy named Louis Burkhoff, I think, who says the mark of a healthy church is that there's discussion of a sermon, 
where you talk about it on how God has spoken to you and what he's encouraging you, and then how you are called to act in response. So if it's a sermon on forgiveness, who do you reconcile with? It's a sermon on generosity. How are you going to give? Like that sense of like, I'm going to hear God speak and I'm willing to act in response to what he has said to me by his word. And I just think in, in our context where we think of sermons as information to, in our brains, it does not translate to activity and, mm. and response uh, to what God has said. And that's always, it can be discouraging as a pastor to think, oh, it's, it's more than just information. Allow God to move you into action. That's a form of worship. I, I feel like I need to add how we haven't said this yet, but it's such a privilege to preach. Mm. Like even this Sunday, I, I, I just felt like it was such a gift. I know most people are terrified of public speaking. And even when we go up there, we all have butterflies and shaky fingers and all the rest, like all the internal stuff of stress. But once you're preaching, it is, it is such a privilege. And I know we often joke, like we won't give sermons away to each other because we all want to preach on this passage and <laughs> we just can't wait to dig into it because it's so rich and beautiful. And it is a gift to preach at hope. And I know we've preached elsewhere and we often come back and I, I love the attentiveness. Mm -hmm. I love seeing kids taking notes. That is just so heartwarming. Mm -hmm. And even to see, you know, people increasingly at our church uh, after a service saying they want to go up with the community prayer and spend time praying with them because God is moving in some way like that to me is there's nothing I'd rather do, even though sometimes writing a sermon can just be some of the hardest work in your week. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my experiences recently I'm pondering through is when I get ready to preach, I have those internal butterflies. But then when I see Dave or Sid preach so passionately, something burns within me and I go, like, I could preach this better than they could. <laughs> sure. Maybe that's part of it. But I'm thinking, oh man, that is a privilege. And it is a gift that I get to do that next week or I get to witness to God's word, hopefully with as much passion as they are trying to witness through and that burns within you. And again, yes, I echo that it's a gift because some people might have that burning sensation wanting to share the gospel, but they don't necessarily do it on the pulpit. They do it through their lives and wherever they are. And so for us, we have this privilege to do that on the pulpit and mm -hmm. be God's instrument there. When you love your church. Yeah. You're still nervous because that's just a part of it. But those nerves, I'm probably more nervous Saturday than I am Sunday because mm. I'm, I'm I question things. I'm still messing with the sermon. I'm still unsure sometime, but when I get up front and I see the people and then I feel a passion, a, a love for the church, you know, then I, and then I can get emotionally, well, people, you know, see it, you can see it often, you know, I get emotionally almost uh, overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think good preaching and love of the church uh, go hand in hand. Yes, for sure. And it's also a sign that you're operating out of a gift. Yeah. Because I think most people are like, I will do everything to not do this. <laughs> and you're like, you're up there in front of people. You're like, I can't wait to preach God's word to you. That's a beautiful thing. It is. Well, thank you to the three of you for sharing so openly and honestly about some of the behind the scenes parts of what it is to be our Sunday morning preacher. We thank you on behalf of Hope Community Church for just their gift that you are sharing with us so regularly. And do not take it for granted the gift that each of you guys are as we mentioned at the start of this podcast this was a requested topic and so similarly if there's ever a topic that you want us to discuss on the podcast please feel free to send us an email at info at hopecommunity.ca we would love to hear it and hope to make it happen in some way 
We also would like to invite you to look forward to some upcoming podcast episodes. We have a couple on the docket for the next coming weeks. We are going to have a podcast on university campus ministry, singleness in the church, and some rapid fire questions from our youth. You can look forward to new podcast conversation episodes coming out every other Friday. That's all for now. Thanks for having us, Misha. Thank you. Thank you.